Good morning, family. I hope you are well and safe. Welcome once more to our Church at Home service. And thank you for hosting us in your homes, offices, or wherever you are watching or listening from. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord this morning. Before we begin, let us open in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this wonderful day that you've created. Thank you so much for this opportunity to come together and fellowship with one another as well as with you, O oh God. We know that you are, you are a God who is not affected by distance, O oh God. We thank you so much because we know that today you're going to reach each and every family wherever it is, O oh God. We thank you for your word this morning, O oh God. May it nourish our souls, may it nourish our hearts, may it nourish our spirits, O oh God. God. We thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful day. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. As I was reading the word of God in the past two weeks, I came across Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. They read, Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. The part which says, so he touched her hand and the fever le left her, got me thinking a lot. To be precise, it challenged me a lot. The question I asked myself was, Balesa, do you still believe that God can perform miracles? Do you believe that Jesus can still touch and heal? I had to think about it deeply, and I can say I do. I fully believe in the God of miracles the God who touches and heals, the one who turns water into wine, who heals the deaf and the blind, who cleanses lepers, who walks on water, who calms the raging seas. I believe he can still do the impossible. I believe he still does the impossible. I believe he can still miraculously heal. I believe he can still calm the seas and he can definitely walk on water. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we must chase after miracles. All I'm asking myself and you, church, is do we believe that God can perform miracles? He is still the same God who healed Peter's mother-in-law. He hasn't changed. So as we enter the service this morning, let us allow God, the miracle maker, to do only what he can do. I pray that these words from Chris McClane's song, God of Miracles, may be real to us. The song says, Let faith arise in spite of what I see. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I choose to trust you no matter what I feel. Let faith arise, for my champion's not dead. He is alive. He is alive, church. He is alive even this morning. He is alive even today. He'll be alive even tomorrow and forevermore. So as we listen to the word of God from Pastor Mondle this morning, let us remember our miracle maker is alive and he still performs miracles. But before the word, we will receive an offering message from Mr. Maguarela. Enjoy the service. Greetings, People's Church. Pray that you and your loved ones are still well and safe. 
I hope we are all aware of the theme for this year that we're busy with, which is built to last. If you don't know about it, please consider listening or watching day one's message during our fast and prayer week and last Sunday's message, a picture of the church. What has been a challenging or what has been a challenging to me, especially this past Sunday's message, is that the world and its current troubles needs a church that is built to last. And we need to be that church. As we all know, the church is not the building at Corner Kleinenberg and East Street. We are the church. You and me are the church. And this means a shift in perspective where certain things must become a priority. When we read from Matthew chapter 6, starting from verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I know that this scripture always stirs up arguments. And some believe that the Lord is saying we should not possess any earthly riches. And some go to the extent of taking vows of poverty. Extremes which I believe are totally unnecessary. And I don't think this, this is what the scripture is teaching. I don't think it's teaching us to be poor at all. What Jesus is doing here is making a comparison between two types of treasure. One is temporary and the other is built to last. And he is urging his audience to invest wisely. Whatever treasure you invest in here on earth, whether it's talent, career, money, athleticism, beauty, understand that those things are not meant to last and they will never last. Those things are temporary. Even when they are not bad in themselves, they are not meant to be our focus. You can make an investment which is built to last and also eternal. This is where Jesus is, is, is calling us to shift our perspective. That there are some things that we can do here on earth, which not only do they last, but they have eternal value. Caring for one another. Praying for one another. Carrying each other's burdens. Bring your, bring your time, your talents, and your finance into this house. Those things, we might look at them and think they are small, but they contribute into a much bigger picture, which is built to last. When we choose, I pray that we choose not just something that is valuable, but something that God also values. For where that treasure is, our hearts will also be there. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word is true. We pray that 
in this life, we will choose to invest in those things that you're also invested in. You, we will choose to invest in things that are, that are meant to last, that have eternal value. We choose to invest our times, our talents, our money into your kingdom, Lord, knowing that it has eternal value. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome again and good morning or good day or good evening, depending on when you are watching this. And so about two weeks ago, I communicated uh, this year's theme, the theme for the church for 2021. And that theme is Built to Last. And what we are going to do as we go into this year is that we're going to take some time to look at uh, the qualities of the things that have been built to last. And we will be asking ourselves this one question. Are there any principles that we could learn that can help us to have lives, marriages, businesses, families, uh, relationships, and careers that are strong and healthy, uh, that are built to last, that are able to withstand the storms of life? That is what we will be trying to do is to learn, is to observe and to apply in our lives uh, principles and, and things that we believe can help us to be able to have lives and marriages and, and relationships and families that are built to last. And this is what I know, that it doesn't really matter what a person does, but I believe each and every person that is working on something that is significant, something that benefits other people. I believe that person wants that thing to far outlive them. They don't want to die with that thing. They don't want, when they are gone, that thing disappears. They want it to outlive them, to continue to help other people as well. I believe this is just a, a, a normal instinct. This is a normal desire that we have. And so I believe it doesn't really matter too much what you and I are working on or what you are building, but I believe that you will be able to benefit from these messages that are going to be preached. And I also cannot wait to hear from other speakers as well because I also want to benefit and to learn and to grow and to begin to apply principles into my life. And so last week, Sunday, I preached a message uh, that was titled The Picture of the Church. And it was basically just looking at the New Testament church and unpacking the words of Jesus that are found in Matthew chapter 16, where he says, And I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we looked at what that means and what that looks like, and we concluded that the church actually has been built to last. And I would encourage you, if you haven't been able to listen or to watch that message, to take some time, go and find it and listen to it and watch it. And today I would like to preach a follow-up message to that one. This one is basically titled, The Mission of the Church. Now that we have been able to see uh, what the church is, now we turn and we take a look at why the church exists. And for that, we turn to Matthew chapter 28 from verse 18 to 20, very uh, famous and well-known portion of scripture, commonly uh, known as the Great Commission. And it says in verse 18, and Jesus, uh, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, 
to the end of the age. So this is the Great Commission, as, I, as I've just mentioned. And I believe it is made up of four uh, components or aspects. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take a moment to look at each, and, uh, each of them in turn, starting with uh, the command, go, therefore, or go into all the world. Secondly, he says, uh, make disciples of all nations. Third, he says, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the, of the Holy Spirit. And the fourth one, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So those are the four aspects of the Great Commission that we're going to look at uh, this morning or today. And so before we get there, uh, to just paint a little bit of a picture uh, of the context within which we find this Great Commission. So this is uh, after the Lord Jesus Christ had just been raised from the dead. He's just been resurrected. Uh, he had been crucified, and then he was buried in a tomb, and then he was resurrected and came back to life by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And the women uh, that went into the tomb early in the morning, they, they are the ones who first uh, found out that he has been raised from the dead, and they were a actually also able to see him. And then he sent them with a message to the rest of the disciples. He says, go to my brothers and tell them that I will go ahead of them into God. Galilee, but they must come there and meet me there. And then the disciples take that trip to go to Galilee, and then they find him on the mountain that he had told them to go to. And this is where he gives them this commission, these very important words. One of his last words that he uh, gives to them before he is taken up back to heaven where he had come from, before he is ascended. So these are very important words. I believe they are the very purpose and the mission of the church that Jesus Christ gave birth to and created and left here on earth. And so the first thing that he says in the Great Commission is go therefore. In another translation it says go into all the world. And I believe the most important thing to note here is that this command is for everyone. This command is not just for a few selected special disciples, but this command is for each and every person who calls themselves a believer. Each and every person who believes and follows the Lord Jesus Christ. Each and every born again believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is for you. When Jesus says, go into all the world, he's talking to you the same way he's talking to me. This is for everyone. And it's interesting if you go to Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 9 to verse 14, and uh, this a section of scripture that theologians, they call, you know, the gifts of the ascended Christ. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ was ascended and, and went back to heaven, he gave gifts to the church. And these are the gifts that we're going to look at right now. And it starts by saying in verse 9, in saying he ascended, talking about Jesus, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts, which is the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might feel all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and, the, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by um, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And so very interesting here. So it basically says when the Lord Jesus Christ was taken up to heaven, he gave uh, certain gifts to the church and it, and it uh, gives them to us. It says it was the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And some people call this, you know, the five, uh, five-fold ministry gifts or the four-fold ministry gifts, depending on how you count. But these are the gifts that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the church. And the important thing that we all need to note here is that there was a reason, there was a purpose for the Lord Jesus giving these gifts to the church. It gives us in this same passage because it says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So the first question that we need to ask ourselves is, what is this work of the ministry? And I believe the work of the ministry is the great commission to go into all the world, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. That is the work of the ministry. Second question, who is this work of the ministry for? And that, that is where this scripture gives us the answer. It says it is for every believer. The fivefold or the fourfold ministry gives are to equip the saints, to equip you and I, to equip each and every believer, each and every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to do the work of the ministry. But the work of the ministry is for all of us. When Jesus says, go, therefore, he's talking to all of us as believers. It is not for a select few uh, special disciples or special people, but it is for each and every one of us. It's very interesting Tim Keller actually makes, I think, a very important point regarding uh, what Jesus says or what Jesus means when he says, go into all the world. So he says, Jesus didn't say go into all the world geographically, but he's, he, he said, go into all the world demographically. And so basically, it just makes a very, he makes a very important distinction that we are not just to go to all the parts of the world because there are so many parts of the world that are not in, inhabited by human beings. So those are the parts we must not go for. Jesus did not say, let us go into, the, into all the world geographically, but he said, let us go into all the world demographically, which basically means we need to go to where the people are. You know, that, that he sends us to where the people are. Ah, in fact, even Jesus himself, when he came, uh, when he came and he was beginning his ministry, he said, I was sent to the lost ship of Israel. Meaning what? He was sent to people. He wasn't just sent to buildings. He wasn't sent to the temple. He wasn't sent to even the Holy Land, but he was sent to people. And so our mission as well, when Jesus says go into all the world, our mission is linked to people. We are supposed to be asking ourselves, where are the people? And that is where we need to go. We note as well in Paul's life, when he's carrying out his missionary journeys, that every time he found himself in a new city, what did he do? He would always try and go to where the people were. Why? Because his mission was linked to people. He was sent to people. The same way we are also sent to people. And so for him to be able to share the good news of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had to find the people because that message is for people. And that is why for us as well, I believe we should always ask ourselves, what, what is the best place to go to for us to be able to find and reach lost people? Where do lost people spend most of their time nowadays? That is where we need to be because our message 
is for them. Our mission is linked to people. And there's a, there's, a, there's a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor, and he was a pioneer during the 1800s of something that is called the China Inland Mission. He was a, a missionary to China, and he went there and he spent uh, most of his life uh, being a missionary in China. So he makes this comment uh, regarding the Great Commission. He says, if in the sight of God you cannot say that you are sure that you have a special call to stay at home, why are you disobeying the Savior's plain command to go? So needless to say, he was very passionate about missions. He was a missionary himself, and this is what he understood the Great Commission to mean, that if you cannot say with certainty and with honesty that, that God has given you a special call to stay at home, then why are you not going? Because he has clearly and plainly said, go. And even though uh, we all don't need to be, to be missionaries, you know, that was, I think, spe more specific to that time that they were living in, even though we still do have missionaries and we still do need missionaries even right now, but not all of us need to become missionaries. But this is what I believe, that we can all live missional lives wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves in, wherever God has, has placed us at, at that particular point in time. We can make a decision to live as missionaries right there. We do not need to, to pack our bags and to uproot our lives and to go to a foreign country. We can become missional at our workplaces, we can become missional at our homes. We can become missional in our communities. We can make a decision to live intentionally and not just haphazardly or accidentally. We can make a decision to live with a sense of purpose and with a sense of urgency. So when the Lord Jesus Christ said, go, therefore, he was speaking to all of us. But uh, not all of us need to become missionaries, but we can choose to become missional or mission-minded right where we are, right where God has placed us. That is the first thing. Second thing, he says, make disciples of all nations. And it's very uh, important for us to understand what this thing uh, is and what this thing means that is called discipleship. And I believe sometimes we have missed it when we thought discipleship is a program, that discipleship is a course that you can sign up for. You know, I want to do discipleship. Where can I sign up? Discipleship is not a course. Discipleship is not a program. Discipleship cannot be scheduled. I believe that discipleship is a lifelong process whereby a person becomes comes someone who knows and obeys Jesus and his teachings. I believe that is what discipleship is. It is a process that you engage in that has a, that has a start, but I don't think it has an end other than to say when you die, it is a lifelong process that we, uh, that you and I as believers need to engage in so that we can, we can transform and mature and become more like the Lord Jesus Christ to get to that place where we know him, where we know his word, when we obey his teachings, and when we obey him. I believe that is what discipleship, and I like this other definition that I found that, it's, that says, a disciple is a person who has moved from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. I hope you are able to get that distinction. A disciple is a person who has moved past the point of just receiving from the church's mission to being responsible for carrying out the, the mission of the church. You become 
personally responsible for taking the mission of the church forward. That is what a disciple is. It is someone who has moved from constantly taking and receiving and has become someone who is constantly giving to others. That is what a disciple is, and that is what we are all as believers supposed to be engaged in. It is not secondary. It is not uh, for those that want to become extra. No, it is for each and every one of us. Each and every believer has to engage in this process whereby they are growing into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe this is one of the signs that a person can know that they are a maturing believer. I believe it is this, that you begin to stop believing that the church exists for you, but you begin to now uh, believe that, the that you exist to further the mission of the church. Let me say that again. The, one of the signs of a maturing believer is that they stop believing that the church exists for them, but that they now exist to further the mission of the church. The church no longer exists to please me, to make me feel good, to comfort me. I am the one who exists to further the mission of the church, to reach to other people that have not had this opportunity to know the good news and to have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And a disciple sacrifices their comforts, their gifts, their resources, and even their preferences in order to reach others with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Paul says this when he talks to the believers that were in Galatia. If you read Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 to 20, listen to the words, listen to the language, listen to the heart behind these words. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 to 20, Paul says this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. I believe this captures the heart of a disciple or of a disciple maker. And there's a number of things that are here that I think we can learn from. The first of which is that discipleship is personal and relational. He says, my dear children, there is relationship. There is in intimacy in terms of the relationship that exists between him and his, disi uh, his disciples or the people that he was discipling. There was a personal and a very intimate relationship that existed. Between he says, you are my dear children whom I love. You know, those are just my words, but I believe that is his heart. He loved them. He wanted what was best for them. He had a relationship with them. The second thing we can note is that discipleship has a personal cost. Discipleship will cost you something. When you are discipling a person, it will come with a personal cost. Because he says, I am again in pains of childbirth. It's almost as if he is giving birth to these disciples or, or to this church. And he is taking pains. He's taking a personal responsibility. And it comes with a cost. He is in pains again of childbirth until now. And at the end, he says, I am perplexed about you. I am concerned. I am touched by your current situation. I am affected by your current situation. So the second thing is that discipleship has a personal cost. Thirdly, discipleship has an objective. 
What is the objective? Paul says it is, it is for believers to develop into the full person and character of Jesus Christ. He says, I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That was his heart, was for the person and character of the Lord Jesus Christ to be formed in them, for them to grow and mature into the full stature of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the objective of discipleship. And these are the three things that I think we can learn from Paul's attitude towards the Galatians. And as I mentioned, I'll just go through them again just now. And first of all, discipleship is personal and relational. And the second one is that discipleship has a personal cost. And the third one, discipleship has an objective. And I believe we are all expected to actively be involved in making disciples. Even while at the same time we are being discipled maybe by another person, but we are all expected to have a few people. We should have, even if it's one person or if a handful of people that we are working with in this journey of faith, people that we care about deeply, people that we have a personal and an, a, an intimate relationship with that we desire to see grow and mature into the full person and character of the Lord Jesus Christ. People that will go to great lengths, even incurring personal cost to disciple. I believe that also is for everyone. It is for all of us. We need to be engaged in disciple making. That thing that he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. First of all, water baptism for a believer is a step of obedience to Jesus' teaching. Sometimes people say, I'm not baptized because I don't understand what it is. Listen, you, don't, you and I don't really need to understand the intricacies of water baptism, how it works, what happens in the spiritual realm. We can do it just because Jesus has commanded us to do it. He says, baptizing them in the the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a step of obedience to Jesus' teaching. We get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit just because Jesus said we should. And when you and I get baptized, we are identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection. And you will, you will uh, see when you, when you observe baptism is that a person who is being baptized is placed in a body of water. And then they are put under the water momentarily and then they are pulled out of the water again. That motion, basically what it symbolizes is that that person uh, personally identifies with the death and the burial. When they are under the water, that, is the, that symbolizes the death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they come out again, it symbolizes that they identify with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, the Bible also teaches that when we become saved, that we also go through that same transformation of, of death and then resurrection. In fact, uh, Paul the Apostle, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is also what happens to each and every individual that places their faith and their, and their 
confidence in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross is that you spiritually die. The old things, they pass away. And when you are getting uh, resurrected, that is the new creation. That is the new person. That is the new uh, spirit, uh, spiritual person that the Holy Spirit gives birth into. And that, that is also what, we, what uh, baptism means, is that I have also died with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you, you were buried. The old person is gone. The old, the old monthly you used to know is no longer here because I have been crucified with Christ. I, I, I died with Christ and I was buried with him. And then when you are pulled out of the water again, that is a declaration to say, I am now a new creation. I have been created anew in Christ Jesus. I have been raised again with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what baptism symbolizes, that you are now. A, a, a new person. It is the same thing if you go to John chapter 3 as well. It talks about the same thing, that when you become a believer, that you get born again. You know, you are no longer the same person that you were before, but a new person is now alive in you. And if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, and you read from verse 25, Paul just talks about this, this transformation that takes place in the life of a believer. And listen to the words that he uses. Listen to the, pay, the picture that he paints about the transformation that happens when a person chooses to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of, of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members uh, of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work or let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as, as fits the occasion. That it may give peace, sorry, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What is he talking about? He's basically saying that since you have been born again through the Holy Spirit, therefore put, uh, put behind, uh, almost as if he's saying take off, like, like clothing, you know, remove these things from you because you are now a new person. You are no longer that same person who used to do these things. You have now been created anew. Therefore, put aside, put, uh, put off all of these things, remove them from you. Let the one who used to steal no longer steal, you know, or steal no longer, but let him work, do something honest with his hands so that he can have something to share with uh, those that are in need. This is the transformation that takes place to a person who places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that he changes you from the inside and you become a new person and therefore you begin to do different things because you are no longer the same person who used to live. And that is a part of uh, what uh, is symbolized in, in water baptism when you choose to get baptized in water. And the fourth thing that Jesus mentions in the Great Commission is teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I think there are, there's two things 
that we need to note here. Number one, that the believer has the responsibility to surround him or herself uh, with sound Bible teaching. It is your responsibility, it is my responsibility to make sure that I am being fed, uh, that I am listening to, that I am surrounding myself with sound, good uh, Bible teaching. You know, that is good for my, for my edification, that is good for my growth and maturity. But that's the, only the first thing, that it is our responsibility to surround ourselves with sound Bible teaching. The second thing, it is our responsibility to apply what we learn. It is no use to simply listen to sound and good Bible teaching if you do not apply it in your life. Jesus said the same thing when he says a person who hears his words but doesn't apply them in their lives. It's like a person who looks at, at himself in the mirror but walks away and immediately forgets what he saw. It doesn't help. It does you no good to simply hear, to surround yourself, uh, to even submit yourself to good and sound Bible teaching if you are not going to apply it. You need to apply it in your life. It is only when the truth of God's word is applied in one's life that it begins to take effect, that it begins to shape us, that it begins to, to mature us, to become more like the person and the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that the new believer has now uh, has the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them, and that God has done a work of transformation in them, that actually does not take away the need for sound and good Bible teaching. That is a very interesting and very important thing to understand. You may have the Holy Spirit living in you. You may be prophesying. You may be speaking in tongues. You may be having uh, even spiritual gifts able to heal people, but that does not replace the need to still surround yourself with good and sound Bible teaching. You can actually be a person who is full of the Holy Spirit and you are operating within the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but you are not a mature believer. Because for that maturity to take place, you need to surround yourself with sound and good Bible uh, teaching, but also apply what you learn into your life. Very interesting, the Bible places a high value of, of the ministry of the word in the scriptures. If you read Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it is placed as one of the four pillars of the New Testament church. And we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And this is what it says. And they devoted themselves, talking about the believers, the New Testament church, and the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So these have been known to be uh, the four pillars of the church. Uh, apostles teaching or uh, sound Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, which is Holy Communion, and the prayers coming together to pray. And the, Bi and the Bible places that high value of the, of the ministry of the word. It places it one of the four. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching they they subjected themselves to constant sound bible teaching and, and but not only that i believe they applied what they were learning in their lives and that is how they were able to grow that is how they were able to mature if you read hebrews chapter 5 from verse 12 listen to this 
So the writer of Hebrews writes, uh, writes this. He says, for although by this time you ought to be teachers. So he looks at them. He says, by this time, surely you are actually supposed to be teachers. You've been in the church. You've been attending services, if there were services at that time. But you've been in the church for a while. And one might think that you are actually supposed to be teachers by now. So he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have uh, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It is not just hearing the word that transforms us, that changes us, that grows us, but it is applying, it is practicing what we are learning. And my hope is that you as well, uh, you make sure that those two things are in place in your life, that you are careful to surround yourself with good, with sound, with solid uh, Bible teaching, but not only that, you are intentional to put into application, to apply in your life, to practice what you are learning in the scriptures. I believe if you put those two things in, 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 in practice in your life, that you'll be able to see difference in terms of your maturity and growth in the person and the, uh, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he says, although by this time you are supposed to be teachers, you actually still need someone to teach you the basics. You need a person who's not going to give you solid food, but who's going to give you milk, you know, because you are still immature. You are still young in the faith. Uh, Paul talks to uh, the Corinthians. He says, you are still spiritual babes. You know, you are still carnal Christians. What you need is sound and good uh, teachings from the Bible. But not only that, but also to apply them. As you apply them, they are going to mature you. And you will be ready to begin to accept and to ingest solid food of the word of God. And as I conclude, let me just read this uh, quote by Paul Washa, who was actually a, mini a missionary as well uh, in Peru for a number of years in his life. He says this, and I like it. He says, there is no nobler task. Uh, there is no nobler task for which we may give our lives than promoting the glory of God in the redemption of men through the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Christian is truly obedient to the Great Commission, he will either give his life to be a missionary or to support those who give their lives to missionary courses in different ways. Either way, the same radical commitment is required. There is nothing better under the sun for a child of God to give their lives into other than, you know, to, to, to give their lives to the, to the promotion of the glory of God in the redemption of men and women through the preaching of the gospel. There is nothing better. Nothing comes close to it. This is the, the, the most noble task that we can give our lives into. And the Lord Jesus Christ expects each and every one of us to give a careful thought about how we are going to use our lives in this great mission of the church. And that is what I would like you and, and I as well to pray into, to really ask God, what does he want you to do 
personally to further this mission of the church? Does he want you to become a missionary? That is possible. Does he want you to quit your job and, be, and go into full-time uh, ministry? That is also possible. Does he want you to stay where you are and rather change your mind to not just be a person who is just a nominal Christian, but to become a person who is missional in their mindset, who is missional in, their, in the way that they live their lives? What does God want you to do personally to further this mission, this great and glorious mission of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because I believe this mission is for everyone. It is for all of us. It is for you and it is for me and we all have a role to play in the furthering of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Great Commission. And I do hope that God is going to shed some light. God is going to help you to understand the role that you personally can play, the role that he has gifted you, the role that he has made you and equipped you to be able to play in this mission. And I hope that it's going to give us the courage as well, because sometimes we lack the courage to make the bold decisions that are necessary. I hope it's going to give us courage to make the necessary changes in our lives so that we live lives that are lived on purpose, lives that are, that are missional, lives that make a difference in the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this mission, for this, uh, for this great mission of the church that you have invited us to be a part of. Thank you, Lord, that this is for everyone, that this is for each and every believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we each have a role to play. I pray, Father, that you help us to be able to see, that you help us to be able to identify and to find that role, to find that space, to find that thing that you want each and every one of us to do personally, to do practically in the furthering of the mission of the church. Each and every person has been gifted, has been given gifts by you, Lord God, to be able to play a role in this mission. I pray that you help us to be able to play that role so that your name and yours alone may be glorified as, as more and more people get to hear of this good and life-giving message of the gospel as they give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and as your church begins to grow here on earth. I pray, Father, that you help us, each and every one of us, by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus Christ's mighty name, so that your name may be glorified now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Take care. Have a blessed day further. Thank you, Pastor Mondler, for the eye-opening message. May God bless you. I sincerely hope that we will allow God to work in and through us this week. Remember, He is for us. Enjoy your week and we hope to see you again on Sunday. Please keep well, stay safe and have a blessed week. Thank you.